On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. The junior minister responsible for e-government, Oshin Smith, uh, is with me in studio. Minister, good afternoon. Thanks for coming in. You're launching a consultation Gavin. about digital public services. Uh, that sounds a bit open-ended. What exactly are you up to? What I'm asking is how can we improve the way that the public um, access their government services online? So if you want to do your social life online or you want to go shopping online, uh, you want to look for the news online, you know, everybody's very used to the idea that there's a nice, simple, consistent, easy way of doing it. And I think people expect that the government will deliver their services online as well. And I think during the pandemic, uh, a lot of that process was accelerated. Uh, it makes it much more convenient for people and it's also more efficient, cheaper to deliver the services. So, you know, my job is to speed up the digitization of government, make it easy for you to get what you get online, just as if you were buying clothes or buying a book mm. online. So what I, w- I suppose what I'm doing is I want to go out and ask people, what are the services we should focus on first? So I know politicians usually talk about how great everything is and want to talk about the, accentuate the positive. And we are doing really well in, in, in many online um, census and we're doing better than the average in Europe um, but there are some areas that we need to improve and I'd like to pick those and focus on those. So just then talk us through but before we talk about some individual examples because I did uh, ask people last night um, for their thoughts on all of this and I've got some interesting replies on Twitter which might be worth discussing but um, what is your, your time frame for this or what exactly will you be doing concretely with what people send back? Do you, do you have a brief where you can go to other departments that you're not attached to and say this needs to be improved let's go working on that? Well, I'm doing the budget at the moment, so I'm working in the Department of Public Expenditure and uh, government departments come in and ask for money to improve their IT. So, you know, part of that is the idea of conditionality and we tell them what they have to do uh, in exchange, what the conditions are for getting that money. So part of that is digitising and improving their public services. If you're saying what's the timeline, Mm. the timeline is short. And I think one thing we learned from the pandemic is that shorter IT projects are way more likely to succeed and deliver better results than ones of the long timeline. So, you know, when we were under pressure to deliver something quickly, like, for example, the vaccination rollout system, Mm. we got a much better system than we probably would have if we had had a few years to do it, when we had a few weeks to do it. So I would say that uh, looking at simple, uh, short systems that happen within one calendar year and that, that we then build on those and make new versions. So that's okay. so certainly it's it's a short timeline. Uh, before I get into some of the, the feedback that I got when I asked people for their, their experiences of public services last night, you said in your introduction there, in your sort of opening pitch, that online services are cheaper and more efficient to deliver. And one running theme that came back uh, when people were replying to me last night was the idea that you would end up making things so online that there would be no fallback. And a lot of people expressed concern that with the increasing digitization of public services and having everything online and having a lot of uh, application services done that way that you leave behind those who are not so tech savvy or don't have that level of computer literacy and who need the old fashioned systems to remain in place as well. Is there a danger that you could end up um, disenfranchising those people with a rush to put everything online? There's no danger of that. So the government has to represent all citizens and particularly the vulnerable. So some people won't be able to go online because of disability or old age, or because they don't have the language skills, and they will always need to be catered for. And this is a difference with commercial providers. So I remember a long time ago, one of the airlines just announced, you cannot buy a flight from us unless you do it online. And that made sense for them because they could afford to lose the customers who couldn't make it or just say to them, just get somebody else to book the flight. 
we, we can't do that as a government. We've got to provide for everybody. So we always have to have an alternative and an option for somebody who, you know, for example, if they, they can't see the screen or they're, they're, mm. they're too old or whatever. So there's always going to be uh, there's always going to be that that option. And we will work with organisations like Age Action and so on mm. to make sure that we're, we're, we're delivering a service for everybody. Uh, now, it has to be said that uh, a lot of the replies that I got back last night when I was asking people for their good, bad or indifferent stories about using public services online, uh, a lot of people came back very impressed with the passport service, which I know is, is uh, a service which has its fair share of detractors, particularly how long it now takes to get a first time passport. But a lot of people were very impressed with the passport service. In fact, some people reported back that they literally had their new passport in their hands within 22 hours of yes. applying for it online. Yeah, and I've had, 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 had constituents yeah. coming to me and say they ordered a passport at lunchtime and it arrived in their letterbox the mm. next morning. So that, that's that's perfect. I, I got yeah. vaccinated. I got a booster shot last week and my digital COVID cert came in with a few hours later. So. Uh, which well, you're going to take personal pride in that because I know you're actually responsible for delivering that. But what's the uh, what can you learn from the way the passport service works as a template for others? Is there something in particular that they've done? Has there been trial and error in getting to that point where they're able to turn around a passport in less than 24 hours? Or what can you use there as a template for other services? I think that they, they really thought about it when they were doing the design work. So rather when they were upgrading their system, instead of just trying to make it work better with the same systems, they actually looked and thought, how would you change the whole process of issuing a passport to make sure that we skip unnecessary steps and so mm. on and that we use new technology like allowing somebody to use their own mobile phone to take their, their photograph? How do we avoid any manual steps like going to a guard the station and so on? And I think there was a cooperation between the chief information officer of the government, which is outside of the, the passport officer's department uh, and with the passport office themselves. So there was a lot of um, anytime you do a large computer system in government, you have to go to the chief information officer and you have to get it peer reviewed you have to get some experts so that mm. you, you don't just deliver a system that uh, doesn't have good benefits. Does that contradict your earlier point though that what we learned from the pandemic is that sometimes if you move with speed that you end up getting a better service rather than tying it down in different levels of bureaucracy and getting it tied up in procurement which is intended to make it more cost effective and ends up maybe delaying the project? No, I think what's important is that you have a series of uh, of small incremental improvements which keep being delivered all the time. So rather than saying our project is coming in two years or three years, that you say our project is coming in two or three months and that version two will be two or three months later, version three will be... So they've, they've had a lot of incremental improvements and they just keep building on what they've done so far. Okay. Um, a lot of people have particular complaints with certain online services as it stands. For example, um, one person identifies renewing the car tax online, motor tax. Um, it's done very seamlessly. You now get an email. There's very little post involved. But they can't understand why the government still uh, charges a premium that if you want, if you can only afford to pay three months at a time, that when it's all done online and there there is very little more human uh, time caught up in having to pay your transaction four times, why is it that you are charged a premium for having to pay it in instalments rather than just paying off your 12 months at once? Well, I think in fairness, that's not an IT question. That's a that's a policy question. So that's a decision for for the department or for the government mm. about whether they're going to charge people more money to pay in three month installments or twelve mm. months. Government could make a decision that they that they were going to make it the same price for mm. three months as twelve but, but months. It's but, a, but it's a disincentive a, for some people. It's not though. an IT. It's, a, yeah. it's not a computer computerization question at all. And I think that when I looked at the the replies to your your tweet yesterday, you asked people how are you finding. Uh, government services online, dealing with the government online, is it positive, is it negative? And overwhelmingly, you had more than 100 
hundred answers maybe you, yeah. you, they were overwhelmingly positive you have to admit like yeah. I, I read through them so all so they, they picked out passport services uh, they picked a lot out of people passports, picked out the libraries out revenues, yeah. libraries mm. yeah the fa- I think maybe a lot of people don't know that you can look at e-books that you can look at a range of newspapers and magazines at yeah. no cost online uh, and blood tests were mentioned uh, car tax as you said local property tax um, and the citizens information service which is really wonderful yeah. I mean it's really it's really uh, it's very much up to date and if you can't find something on citizens information you can actually email them and they'll get you an answer. So the CSO is also uh, very, yeah. very good online. So there's a, I think that, that in general, we are doing really well. We're fifth in Europe, according to the European Commission. We've gone up the rankings in the last few years. So we're fifth for digitization in Europe. However, we can do better. We're not number one. And mm. I've seen what they've done in Denmark. I've seen what they've done in Estonia. And we need to get up to that level. And so from my point of view, I saw and I saw a couple of these things mentioned in your replies. Uh, I'd like to see improvements in the immigration um, system yeah, we, and one, one in the healthcare system generally. Yeah, Although we, elements of the healthcare have done so well, like the, as I said, the vaccination system, but also the COVID certificate system has has, mm. has done really well. And I think they happened because they were short and focused. But the, the slow move towards having a centralised digital records or digital database for individual patient records does seem to be a, a massive issue. Now, I'm not denying that it would be a huge thing to get online because there's a lot of people with a lot of different disciplines and it would take an awful lot of work to get up and running. But it still seems like that we are way behind other European countries in having a single digital health identifier where, for example, you can't be admitted to an emergency department in a hospital and immediately have that hospital guaranteed to have access to your previous health history or all your records or to know if you've had some other traumas in the past or to know whether you're allergic to certain drugs. It seems like stuff that you really ought to be able to take for granted in the 21st century that we can't get done. It's very common across Europe to have fragmented um, healthcare systems. And I've spoken to the other digital ministers in Europe about their efforts to to improve their, their healthcare systems. And they all say the same thing, that their healthcare system is a combination of different regions that were brought together, some former religious or charitable organisations, privatised healthcare GPs, mm. community healthcare hospitals, yeah. all mixing together indeed, and all well, having different different indeed, sets of records. Indeed, wasn't it the case during the cyber attack actually that some hospitals were almost completely ring fenced or insulated from the damage of the cyber yes. attack because they're voluntary hospitals, so they yeah. weren't interact ingrained at all. They weren't fully integrated. So, for example, Vincent's Hospital, um, which I used to work for as a data analyst, they they had they had their own systems, and uh, by 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 the fact that they weren't integrated, they managed to to survive pretty much unscathed. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but is is that that seems like a something of an unplanned benefit that you wouldn't design the system that way if you were setting out. Okay, so let's go back to your question. How do you have one patient record for everyone? How do you have one place where you've got an electronic health record? Mm. We actually have that now with the vaccination system. So we've got pretty much everybody in the country or over 95% of people have had a vaccine and then many other people have been um, have been have had COVID tests and the records of those are all there and those are linked together. So we've got one large system, health system for, for the country that does record vaccinations and records COVID tests and we could add, add extra things onto that. So going back to what I was saying about doing things one thing one stage at a time, um, I've asked the health service to look at doing online prescriptions, which is a system which does exist mm-hmm. in other countries. You should, of course, be able to see what medications you're on. And particularly if you're in an accident, you get brought into a, a, an emergency department that the staff can, can quickly see um, you know what what mm. drugs you're on and and treat you accordingly mm. because people can't remember 
exactly what pills yeah. or exactly what dose they have. So I, I would say that adding things one by one to that to, to that healthcare record is the right way to go. Uh, even individually though, before you'd had a fully integrated system across all of the healthcare service, a lot of people are saying that even in individual hospitals, whether they're public or voluntary or what they might be, that an online system for managing medical appointments will be badly needed because often oh, yeah. they find it very difficult to be able to keep track of appointments or if they need to be able to amend or to cancel or to reschedule appointments that it's very difficult to do electronically. You end up trying to get somebody on the phone. It's not always possible to get somebody in the phone and that seems like a very okay, 21st well, century service where at a corporate level any private company would be able to deal with that but the public sector can't. Well the public sector actually can do really well and really really can achieve when it doesn't. Let's go back again to the vaccination system to the digital COVID cert, cert system mm. online passports and, and driving us as I said they, they, they can they really can do this. Let's imagine what the healthcare system should look like. There should be a portal that you log into Everyone has a, a login into it in the same way that you have one login for, for Google or for Apple, that you would have one login for all of the government services, the yeah. MyGov ID. You go to that portal and you can see what you're allergic to. You can see your COVID test results. You can see your schedule of appointments with different healthcare systems and so on. So really the idea is to, to work out what that portal should look like. And we have examples, again, in Denmark, in Estonia, we can see what their healthcare portals are like yeah. and build on that. So that's, that's, that's the vision that we're going to move towards. Uh, Estonia is a fascinating one because you can even actually cast your vote in elections online, which is a useful one of the yeah, we to do that robustly. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd love if we were at that level, but let's just see. I talked to them about that. I said, we're never going to do that. Yeah, well, there's, uh, well... There might be a case for it, but that's a, that's, that's a discussion tried. for another time. Um, you mentioned the MyGov ID, which is sort of the centralised means yeah. through which you you verify your identity for online services. Um, we got a lot of uh, feedback about that, and there are two, well, in fact, three major issues. Firstly, that if you want to um, establish a MyGov ID to use as your login point, that you have to have a public services card, which a lot of people are uneasy about because of the ways in which it's been found that the government has requested use for that previously in ways that weren't always justified. Secondly, that you can't get a public services card without having to make an in-person appointment to establish your identity in the first place, which means that if you want to have ease of access to online services, you have to start off with a a face-to-face appointment, which seems somewhat contradictory. And then a lot of people who just have distrust for the public services card, uh, because, for example, one person said they were required to get it in order to access the PUP, and they had a real issue with that, and that they cancelled their appointment a couple of times because the Department for Social Protection, which administers that card, couldn't answer questions about privacy and data. And as you know, there's been uh, conflicting answers in the past about whether, in fact, it includes biometric data, officials saying it does, and ministers saying it doesn't. People have an unease about the, the public services card and that being used as the spine to verify your identity online. I think to a large extent, um, plastic cards are becoming obsolete. You know, I don't take out a bank card when I want to spend money and neither do you, neither do your listeners, you know. And I think that there used to be a lot of focus on, the, you know, the, the magic card and what it does. Mm. That, that technology When you say has, you don't use it, do you use like Apple Pay or Google Pay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you use your phone to buy something, don't you? So, you know, I think the same thing. I, I you know, you, you, you register for a MyGov ID account. As, as a byproduct of that, you get a public services card. And then after that, you put it in a drawer. Do you ever have to take it out again? I mean, you're, you're, it's not like you're getting stopped on the, on the street. Mm. The Gardaí are legally not, not allowed to use, uh, to use PPS numbers and so on. Mm. But so, there's, there's, so there's most, something of a reputational problem, though, where because the public services card was, was found to have been used unfairly before, that certain government services were basically treating it as... Uh, That's a, over. That's over. So what, there, but, there was, but there was it, a legal case. Happened. There was a legal case between um, 
uh, the, the Data Protection Commissioner mm. and the Department of Social Protection. And that's been settled and an agreement was, was reached on it. Mm. And I, I could go into that if you want. But what about really, the, the data what, that what was, I'm, just by saying, the by, the data that was harvested through that, where it was found that the, you know, um, the, the government or different arms of government had basically compiled databases of uh, per, people's private information, which they ultimately didn't need because people were told to get the PSE to engage in certain services, which they shouldn't have had to. Whatever the, happened to that data? Well, what, the outcome of this is that the, the Department of Social Protection uh, can require that you have a public services card before they give you a payment because they're, mm. that's what that's what they have in the law and the Data Protection Commissioner accepts mm. that. But other departments can't require you to have a public services card. They can't say to you, you can't have this service because you don't have a PSC card. They have to give you an alternative. And that, that's what the mm. outcome of the, of the decision so, was. So wh- it's, not, wh- it's not mandatory to have a public services card and it's not obligatory in order to get a passport or to renew your driver's license mm. or to get a PUP payment. But the only way you can renew Sorry. a driver's license, for example, <laughs> is PUP to... Payment, well, the, the only way that you can re- renew a driver's license for online, for example, is if you already have a MyGov ID, which means at some point you had to go and make an appointment in person to be able to access more convenient online services. Is that always going to ultimately be the case that in order to establish your identity you're going to have to make an appointment in person first and that will be your your gateway towards online services? Yeah, there's a difference there's a difference um, between what a commercial service does the way they treat identity and customers and the way the government does. So if you're selling clothing online you don't mind if one of your customers has five different identities, so long as they pay all their bills. And that, you know, if, you, you're, if you're a bank, you don't mind if your customer has five different bank accounts. But the government wants to know that there's just one Gavin Riley and that you're just getting one unemployment benefit payment um, for you. So that they they need to meet you, and they need to mm. and they need to meet you once, and uh, and they need to to verify your identity. And they have a process of doing that. You come in, you have a meeting, and I believe that over three million people have done that have their cards and can access government services online. So you, you don't see it one. as something of a false efficiency that in order to be able to engage in online services like renewing your passport or your driving licence that you'd have to go and make an appointment in person first? You, you don't have to. You, you can renew your driver's licence or your yes. uh, or your passport if, online if you without, have a having, without going in, in person but to if do you, it. But if you have a, if you have a MyGov ID. If you, you have a MyGov ID, which is but the login to digital services. But you have so to get you have an in-person appointment to get a MyGov ID. Only once. So yeah, once, once in your life, the government has to verify who you are. They need to meet you so that they're not handing out 10 driver's licenses or passports to people who aren't who they say they are. Okay. That's, that's understandable. The consultation it? that you're running on all of this is open until the end of this month, is it? It's running until the end of the month. You can, If you go to per.gov.ie, per.gov.ie, you'll see a link there on the page and you can fill in the consultation. And otherwise, if you... Um, email me or, or text me or Twitter me or something, you can send me in suggestions and I'd love to hear them or put them onto that thread that you have. Uh, okay, well, I'm sure you can go, go harvesting my Twitter replies with uh, <laughs> an, an interesting may, a way of uh, launching public consultations, but here I'm, I'm here to serve. Uh, Oshin Smith, uh, Green Party TD for Dunleary, Minister of State for e-government. Thank you very much Thank for joining you. us uh, in studio. On the Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.